0: My name is Mark Solomon, and this is Never Was. I never was almost there. Almost where, Mark? Well, to success, frankly. Look, as far as I can tell, there's two kinds of bands. Those trying to make it, and those just trying to be heard. I'm not sure, some bands can be a little bit of both, but really, there's just the two. The bands that have something to say, and simply must say it, be it spiritual, artistic, political, or otherwise, and that don't necessarily care if they live off the music, they don't often cross over to that other kind. They're usually content being the voice in the wilderness, satisfied with knowing they did their part, whatever that part is. I personally hold these bands to a high place of respect, I know a lot of people do. But that really wasn't me. I had something to say, I suppose, and I still do, obviously. But I never really aspired to be that and that alone. I wanted to make enough off of music so that music was what I did forever. Now, whether or not that's all that wise is not really where I'm going with this. So let's get to the other kind of band, the band trying to make it. Now, of course, there are the kinds of bands who have nothing to say. They just want to make, a, make some money, buy some formula or something. I don't know. I mean, honestly, what was Britney Spears trying to say? One Direction, or any boy band for that matter. I'm not saying that they aren't able to make a statement. It just doesn't really seem like a motivating factor. I don't know. Maybe the dudes in One Direction are full of heavy thinking. Don't know? Kind of don't care. I do care about those bands trying to make it and who are courageous enough to admit that but who also find a place where they can really create something more than just a popular song. U2 comes to mind, Pearl Jam, Public Enemy even, or to a lesser extent, and probably a differing degree, Bad Religion, Fugazi. And there are tons of bands, and you're probably thinking of a few yourself. And probably not bands from 20 years ago. (laughs) But I digress. You know what I'm talking about. It's important uh, that you know what I mean when I say courageous. I definitely see a certain courage in owning up to what you're trying to accomplish. You open yourself up to a lot of criticism from people who are really, really good at being critical. Why is that? I say because you could fail. And then everyone will know. It ceases to amaze me the length, breadth, and depth at which people can be critical. Thank you, internet, digital rope that you are. And don't worry, aspiring commercial voices. The critics always find a way to hang themselves with that rope. Just give them enough time. So, I return to my original statement. I never was almost there. Sure, I thought for a minute, you know, I was was close, but but not really. The more I do this show, the more I talk to people, the more I see the gap from aspiring to almost. It's pretty big, let alone getting there. I mean, I don't even understand that. But take my guest tonight, Brandon Reich, designer, entrepreneur, former lead singer of the band Dead Poetic. He and his band truly were almost there. And then, the proverbial plug was pulled. Why? Well, join us. Join us, why don't you, and let's find out. We'll talk dead poetic, life on the road, design, high school sweethearts, and what it means when Chino from the Deftone says, Hey, hit record and let me go in there for a minute. And we're going to talk about being almost there. So close. So close. I think you'll enjoy it. By now, it should go without saying, you'll want to turn this up. Extra bonus... Hang till the end, and you get a little taste of Brandon's next musical endeavor, At Night We Strike. Enjoy. Once upon a time, we toured with this band... Called Dead Poetic. I don't know how in the hell you guys got stuck opening up for us. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you sold more records than we did uh, when it was all said and done. When when was that? What year was that when we first met you guys? Did you even have a record out yet?
1: Our first record came out in 2002. Um, our second record came out in 2004. And the third came out in 2006. I think we toured with you guys around 2003 is okay. my guess.
2: All right.
1: And we toured with you because, uh, yeah, this was, I mean, this was one of our favorite bands ever <laughs> that we got to tour
0: with. That's so, awesome. um,
1: yeah. So we, uh, we were honored to open up for Stavesacre.
0: Zager. <laughs> Have you heard aim, that before? Aim higher, brother. <laughs> aim higher. I mean, I know you guys are, you're, you're a, Col- you're Columbus, right? You're based in Columbus. We're all of you Dayton, based in Ohio. You?
1: I moved to Columbus. Uh, we were based in Dayton, Ohio, but Dayton. I moved to Columbus okay. when, uh, when I got married and went out on my own, just because uh, I like Columbus better than I like Dayton. Okay. I'm proud to be from Dayton, but uh,
0: Columbus is a pretty great city. Okay. Now, did you see Dayton? Did you know the Morellas Forest peoples and all that from back in the I day? I actually
1: didn't. That was uh, I knew that there was a band on Tooth & Nail from Dayton that used to be, you know, on tooth and nail. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time we came around, it was like the whole guard had changed everything, yeah, yeah. you know, whatever that local scene was, was completely different when we came around. Um, cause we had a pretty, a pretty fruitful, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, but man, we had a lot of bands in Dayton, Ohio and, um, 99, no 2000, 2001, uh, just a ton of bands. And so we could put shows together and, uh, I mean we could put six, seven bands on a bill, no problem. But uh no, Morell's Forest, I actually never knew any of those people. Huh.
0: How many people are in Dayton? I mean, what, what are we talking about population wise here?
1: Uh thir- I have no idea. I wanna say something like thirty five thousand I've gotta know. be kidding me. It's not big. So it, it used to be a lot like bigger. These guys be-
0: just never even rent that's a bummer. What a dumb Yeah, dud. we
1: used to uh we used to make all your automobiles, but um, all those plants got shut down. Gotcha. So now we don't know what we're doing in Dayton, Ohio. Yeah, we're getting bummed out and being depressed and unemployed in Dayton, unfortunately.
0: Jeez. Uh, way to paint a rosy picture, Brandon. Yeah, so Shit. I moved to
1: Columbus. Like I said, gotcha. I love love being from Dayton. I love the blue-collar background, but um, I had a choice, and I just moved about 80 miles to the east yeah. in Columbus.
0: I mean, we we played in Columbus. Dave Jacob played in Columbus quite a bit. I actually I enjoyed going out there. Um, And that's where Radio U was back in the day. Um, I've actually stepped foot on it. The the Ohio State campus is in there somewhere, isn't it? Yep. We always seem to to have pretty decent shows there. But, you know, there's just something about Ohio, man. It is a very flat, very large place.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's all I know. I didn't realize the rest of the country had mountains and stuff. Actually, there's a portion of Ohio that is hilly. But um I grew up in, you know, where I grew up, everything was flat and I grew up around cornfields. Yeah. And that was just my life. And then uh there's a few, there's like kind of the north uh northeast area is a little more hilly, but then I made that drive on 70 out west, went through Kansas and welcome to colorful Colorado. And oh, there's yeah. the mountains. I'm like, oh, these things are in the country too.
0: Okay. So you're walking the mean streets of Dayton. Yeah. And uh, switch switchblades. switch blades. You're having dance off gangs. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out how you ever heard of Stavesacre or Tooth and Nail or anything in a town of 35,000 people.
1: Well, let me tell you, Mark, let me give you the story Please here. Please do. Um, so, believe it or not, me and two of my best friends who I had been friends with since I was kindergarten, first grade, second grade. When by the time we were 13 years old, we started a band. So what that meant was Zach learned how to play guitar. Chad uh, learned how to tune down a guitar from Sears to make it sound like a bass. And I (laughs) rapped uh, words and we called it a band. And then uh, and then Chad's older brother, Josh, could drive a car. um, And so he drove us to a youth room um, up in the next town north. And that, there was a drum set there. He drove us there one day, actually. And instead of going back home while we practiced with the PA, he just sat behind the drums and he started playing on the drums. And then we were just like, Josh, you just want to be the drummer? <laughs> yeah, cool. Let's do that. So nice. that, you know, by the time we were 13, 14 years old, um, we just, I don't know, we had we had a good group of friends. One of our really close friends decided to be our manager and he started putting shows together and then we put the shows together and started playing with other bands and started finding, you know, the bands around the Dayton area. And, you know, we would put shows together at our church. We would put shows together at other people's places. There was a place called Gathering Ground that started having shows, a um, place called The Attic later that started having shows. So somehow we just had this amazing network of, um, I don't know, really just Christian bands that wanted to put shows together. And, you know, Christian band was sort of, a, I guess it was a title that, people were sort of indifferent to at that age because they were like i don't care what you believe you guys are my age and you're playing punk rock yeah i'll go to that show so we didn't really have much uh i don't know we didn't have much pushback man we just like you're 15 16 year olds playing music let's do it and uh so that's what we did you know and at a certain point all of us who you know we all cared about sports and then we just decided i'm not gonna play basketball this year i'm not gonna play soccer this year because i would rather play shows every weekend than than play games. Yeah. And uh, so it all changed. And after a while, college started getting uh, put on a back burner because the band thing just seemed a lot cooler. We started going to Cornerstone Festival. We'd load a van up with us and all our friends and put together an amazing campsite at Cornerstone Festival beside nice. one of the Core stages. How old are we talking here now? Now we're getting about 17 years so old. Still and teens
0: and high yeah, schooly.
1: Yeah. My friend Chad starts showing me all these CD's one's an MXPX CD, one's a value pack CD, one's a goatee hook CD. And they all got this same black and white box on the back of them that says tooth and nail. And I don't even know what a record label is. Right. And I see tooth and nail and then I start putting all the pieces together. All these bands that I listen to are on tooth and nail. (laughs) And at a, you know, sometime let's say by Christmas, I, uh, I'm like, all right, mom. Um, I'm not going to listen to my secular CDs anymore. So let's, uh, you know, let's get some, here's my Christmas list for my new CDs. And I remember (laughs) one Christmas, I got a Stave's Acre and a Plank Eye CD. I got the Absolutes Jam. And uh, so yeah, Shiv is still one of my, (laughs) one of my jams. Um, I I liked it more than the Plank Eye record. I never connected with it, but I connected with the Stave's Acre. So I connected with the anger, the intensity, the passion, all that stuff. Um, So anyways, a Cornerstone, um, I find myself, Passing a football with Brandon Ebel. And then after <laughs> okay. that, after I'm passing a football with Brandon Ebel, I hand him a CD. I said, This is my band. And uh, meanwhile, my friends are back at the campsite being like, Holy crap, he's talking to Brandon Ebel. <laughs> and uh, so, anyway, long story short, um, we get an email a couple weeks later or a couple months later. Um, Hello, Mindset, which is what the name of our band was at the time. Okay. Um, and that started the conversation. And then, um, I guess. Okay. So we graduated in 2000, we graduated high school, 2001, and we signed a tooth and nail record. We went on our first tour that summer, 2001. As soon as we graduated high school, we went down to Florida and back. We actually played Lakeland, Florida. Get the heck out of here. um, (laughs) And then we, uh, and then uh November of two thousand one we uh signed a record contract to Tooth and Nail Records. And the reason we did that was because we were eighteen years old and someone was offering us a record contract. Oh, yeah, so yeah. why in the world would anybody in their right mind turn it down? Oh yeah. Our attorney told us not to do
0: it. Big time.
1: But who cares, man? I'm eighteen years old, I'm gonna be on Tooth and Nail Records.
0: <laughs> what did your attorney tell you not to sign it for? Because you're too young or because he didn't like the contract?
1: Because he didn't like the contract. But uh, whatever <laughs>
0: yeah. you know attorneys that can also be very helpful if they suggest changes to said contract but <laughs> sometimes yeah, sure yeah well you know man a lot of people did the same thing you know but in your 18 you know you want to make records and you figure it just seems so impossible which is hilarious now looking back at that and thinking like dude it was never really necessary honestly <laughs>
1: is in the music industry and it's like all of the dates of the things that he's doing is exactly 10 years later and that band's blowing up and to not get off track i won't say who the band is right. but the band's blowing up so and man they had a completely different approach than my band did because of the internet because of youtube mm-hmm. and because of all social media and there's a part of me that i can't help but wonder what would have happened <laughs> had i known had i had the you know social media intelligence that i have now right when i was 18 years old how would i have navigated my musical career and how would i have used the internet to my to my advantage um you know my band doesn't even have a twitter account you know what i mean like there's it, we dropped off right before social media blew up. We didn't know why you would need a Facebook page or, you know, it, a website was enough for us yeah. and there was everything else. And
0: the truth is, is MySpace changed everything. And that wasn't yeah. even around then, really. I mean, when did yeah. MySpace really become big? 2006, 7? Yeah,
1: 2006 or 7, I would guess.
0: Even at the tail end of our era, it just, I, I should clarify. When I say you look back now, it's not necessary that's really not true. Because back then it really kinda was. There's no way in the world you've ever heard my band if it wasn't for tooth and nail. You know what I mean? Right. Without right. and there with with there being no social media machine or whatever. But it is what it is and you know, you signed the deal and you guys went out there and made some records. And hey, who knows? Maybe you don't have the career you currently have right now, or yeah. The life or the family you know what I mean? Who knows? Who knows?
1: Well, I have a unique situation where I can honestly say that art is my plan a, you know what I mean? Like the, the band was just this awesome thing that I got to do with my friends when I was a teenager and it was good enough that we did something with it. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't a thing to like, this band isn't serious. Let's just go to college and call it quits. It was serious enough that we were like, guys, I think we can, I think we can maybe do something if we stick to it. So we stuck to it for a while. I got jaded because, my problem was that I was doing design while I was in the band and, you know, I would design things for my band, of course, and the other bands we toured with wanted me to design stuff for them. I think Stave Zaker is one of those bands Mm. that wanted me to design stuff for them. So I found myself being in the van with my laptop designing graphics and it got to a point where I was making more money designing graphics in the band than I was getting paid for that tour. And so it became sort of glaringly obvious on paper to me that it was time to um, time to move on, yeah. but it still took me a couple years before I worked up the courage to tell these guys that I freaking loved that well, um, I didn't want to do it anymore.
0: Let me tell you, we're going to get to that because you know I did a little research. Okay, I'm not all right, as I've said before, I'm not a total hack, <laughs> but I'm mostly I'm like a mostly hack. But you know, I, I had to kind of figure out what happened because what the, what I remembered was this very promising band. Who I mean my band toured with like 25 bands probably staves acre probably toured with 25 bands and then add in the bands that the crucified toured with and played shows consistently with there's not very many of them that i wore the shirts on a regular basis you know what i mean and it wasn't just because i liked the shirts it's just because when you finally hear a group that you kind of dig you know it's so surprising for one thing but then have like the artwork and the and and the T-shirts or whatever, you know, just all the things that you would look for in a band, you know, especially when you're on the road. I can look back at all these bands that we played shows with, you know. But the truth is, is the only band I remember everyone in my band liking equally, you know. That, those bands I could count on one hand, you know what I mean? Dead Poetic, Cody yeah. Hook, uh, MXPX, you know what I mean? But the of the smaller groups that hadn't really blown up yet. I remembered you guys even long after. I'd see pictures of us like, oh, there's that dead poetic shirt, man. I freaking wore that shirt to death, you know? (laughs) So it was before we get to the design thing and before we get to the transition and what I think might, you know, maybe it's going to be weird. Maybe it's not. I don't know. We'll find out, but... I kind of would like to revisit, if, if you don't mind, some of that early, like the transition of the band. Because, dude, when you guys kind of wrapped it up, I mean, I am a fan of Deftones, okay? Yeah. And I'm seeing this video with, with Chino singing on, on the record. You got Jesse Sprinkle or Aaron Sprinkle. You got the Sprinkle Brothers involved. Involved, yes. There's a lot <laughs> going on there. It seemed like the trajectory was headed up. Yeah. You know, so let's, let's go, let's, let's get into this, this, this tour. Was that the first tour that you guys had done when you went out with us or you had, had you, you know,
1: been? we, our first tour, like I said, was 2001, summer, 2001. Um, I don't, I mean, I know we stayed busy from mm-hmm. 01 from, you know, summer of 01 to about 06, we stayed pretty much busy. You know, I didn't know when in 03 it was. Um, I feel like it was colder weather. Uh, Maybe it was either the beginning or the end of 2003. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would say that's probably third or fourth tour we had done. Um, We had done a lot of our own tour. You know, my, our manager would just schedule, this was before we had a booking agent. Our manager was our booking agent, essentially. Um, He would just put tours together and we, it was really a crapshoot on what these venues were going to be like. They'd be a church, they'd be (laughs) a coffee shop, they'd be a real club. Who knows what it was? Um, but we would keep ourselves busy. We'd go, you know, we'd go across the country. I remember just a lot of we just toured uh four-wall blackmail, our first record. We toured that record a lot and the shows were all pretty consistently random. There wasn't like any consistent like you're playing the club in town. It took It took a while before we started playing those. I think eventually we um, did a tour with Zayo Mm -hmm. and Zayo and Under Oath and Unearth and The Underwater. Yeah, I know all the names that that's weird. Um, (laughs) But Zayo, Dead Poetic and Under Under Under. And we did that tour and that was the first time. I mean, there were still those floor hardcore shows, but that was the first time we were like getting used to like a thousand people. You know, just packed out shows, sold out shows So we got a taste of it on that floor. Because when we toured,
0: there were not thousand-person shows. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Stavesacre was nowhere near that kind of a draw, and certainly not on a consistent basis. That's uh, that's pretty great. So, okay, so you're out there. You're playing a lot of people. How's the response? I mean, did you feel like you were kind of fitting in musically?
1: Well, we have a funny thing, and this is – I mean, I feel like I can – vindicate myself today because it's a decade late over a decade later mm-hmm. but um so there was a moment in a zeo song in one particular zeo song where brett it's on the song i don't know if the song's called where blood and fire bring rest but brett starts singing okay. while dan is screaming and zeo wore dress clothes they wore like dress up like they'd wear a sweater with like a white collared shirt underneath it russ would like wear nice clothes or whatever okay this whole thing of this like beautiful versus like gnarly scream was just fascinating to us, so I think there was one bridge of a Zayo song that influenced us so heavily. That we just decided, let's just do this sing, scream thing. Because at this point I had rapped before, mm-hmm. you know, like we were definitely very rap core when we were in our teenage years. Yeah. So, but it was like, we were definitely feeling like, oh, we're going to get compared to Limp Biscuit. I'd rather you compare us to Rage Against Machine, but we're going to get, paired, get right, compared, get right. compared to Limp Biscuit and that whole thing. We don't want to do that. So by the time we heard Zaya, we're just like, let's just, you know, let's sing, let's scream, let's do whatever. Um, and while we were recording our first record with Barry Pointer and Little Rock, because Barry Pointer produced Zayo, he produced uh, Embodiment and produced the Juliana Theory. So mm-hmm. those three being some of our favorite bands. Um, so we went and did that tour. And I remember we would eat lunch at Barry's house. We'd be sitting in his living room and uh, a band comes on MTV2 called Thursday. Ugh. And we look at each other yeah. and we're just like, are you kidding me? this is the same thing we're doing right now with four wall blackmail. This is what we're trying to do. Like this is the genre that we thought we had, you know, not come up with, but we thought we were so original, the mix that we were trying to do. And here's this band that we had never heard of at that point doing the same thing. And their songs like number one on whatever MTV (laughs) 2 countdown. So we entered in our first tooth and nail record in a genre that was sort of already existing at this time. I guess you can call it post hardcore, but you guys were called post hardcore. Yeah. I mean, everything was sort of post hardcore at that point because we just, you know, if your band didn't want to do hardcore anymore, then right, you got that right. blanket post hardcore term.
0: Especially if you had that kind of a of a foundation or whatever,
1: right? And if you play and drop D, if you've just got an overall darker tone to your to your deal. Um, so we came out and we signed the same week same week as Me Without You. Um, our record came out June 4th, 2002. And, um, I don't know, it was, I think it was well received. I think it was still this sing scream thing was still new enough that people could be excited about it. And it wasn't, it wasn't played out by any means. I mean, in my mind, embodiment was doing something similar. Um, but they had, they just had something totally different. You, they would still be considered metal because, Andy is just an insane guitarist, and that stuff is going to sound metal yeah. um, if Andy's playing guitar. But you know, the first record I heard Sean singing on the Embodiment Narrow Scope record, it was like that—that that kind of stuff just did it for me. Yeah. You know, like all the Deftones records, all that stuff. It was just where we wanted to be. So yeah, we put out For All Blackmail. It was well-received. I was personally pretty bummed about the production quality of it. Um, I was pretty bummed with the snare sound. I was bummed with a lot of things about that record. It was slightly embarrassing. So Uh, um, we felt like we could write songs a lot better. We thought that we could come up with more dynamic parts. Um, So when it came time to do the second record, uh, we decided to go to Seattle and get in the studio with Aaron Sprinkle. And uh, then we did a record called New Medicines. And New Medicines sort of... um, put us, for lack of a better term, put us on the map in that world, in, in the genre that would later be known as Screamo, but a word that didn't exist when that record came out. Right, okay,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Came out and then we got our MTV2, we got our Fuse, we got our magazine. So you were getting the exposure, the
0: exposure was there,
1: yeah. And we were getting the attention that, um, you know, we ran into that whole uh unfortunate situation of having those awesome meetings with major labels and talking about all the possibilities with the major labels, and then also realizing there's no way in the world you're going to get out of your contract. No, so. That was a, you know, it, it just kind of started fueling a frustration, a frustration that now I just don't care about. But at the time, it, it just seemed like such a deterrent to growth. Um, that did you feel, we
0: I mean, did you feel like it was, like you were, you were not going to get past a certain level being, I mean, I don't, I don't want to, this has been a popular thing that's come back and forth, you know, the tooth and nail, the I mean, Brandon's always been, been very proud to say no band that ever left Tooth & Nail sold more records after they left, at least up until a certain point yeah. that was the case.
1: Well, I know that now. Yeah. <laughs> but at yeah, the time, yeah. when someone's going to tell you you're going to be on Interscope Records or Universal Records or whatever... Right. It just seems like well then that means I am going to be as big as Nine Inch right. Nails. If I get on Interscope, then I'm going to be as big as Nine Inch Nails, right? I get to say I signed to a major label, right? Exactly. And that's really all it was, you know. I you don't think about all the the bands on a major label's roster that nobody knows about and they get dropped right away, right? So the um, looking back, the family that Tooth and Nail established was much more valuable than yeah. um, than. Me putting the Interscope label on the back of my record. Um, That would have been an ego thing for me. You know what I mean? It would have been some milestone that I would have accomplished. But I know now that Tooth & Nail had this uh, power and this following and this, uh, I don't know, this buzz that major labels just don't have part of that's what's so great about labels like fueled by ramen is they still manage to maintain uh this indie mentality when really they're putting out paramore records and panic of the disco records and they're huge (laughs) records so
0: well i mean dude we i'm not making a judgment at all we were right there
1: (laughs) yeah but in hindsight uh sure i'd give brandon a big hug i got no beef with brandon today not at all
0: yeah okay so we get new medicines um you know, again, trajectory upwards. Um, I gotta ask, I mean, how is that when the screaming stopped? You know, I read on the, on the wiki page, you know, that there was a quote from you on there. I don't, I never know how accurate those pages are. So I'm just kind of basing off what I read, but you know, where you just felt like you couldn't get yourself to scream anymore. You just couldn't, you couldn't do it. Yeah.
1: I think that, I think that we knew how to write really good rock songs, but we were hidden in this genre that didn't really care about a driving rock song. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah. I mean? That it was uh, I mean, we, we play a show right before um, Norma Jean, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, you, are you telling me that I got to just like go into convulsions and spin my guitar around <laughs> and like, you know, destroy the drum set. Is that what I have to do in order to get these kids excited about it? So yeah. the, the genre that we were playing shows in, versus the genre that we thought we could excel at were two very different things. I mean, there's not a, I don't know. It's not like, I mean, sure, grunge was a movement in itself, but at the time, like this hardcore thing of headbanging and screaming and throwing your mic and spinning your mic all the way, performance was like 50% of what these bands were. So a band like Norma Jean and The Chariot and Even Me Without You, I mean, they were a spectacle in themselves. And I was just frustrated constantly because- I felt like, man, if I'm trying to be a spectacle like that, there is no way I'm going to stay on key. Right. And all I care about is trying to be trying to hit these notes. Yeah. But I'm out of breath constantly. And, and, and I constantly have to deal with that frustration of, listen, these kids want me to go nuts, yeah. but I want to sing the song correctly. And I couldn't find the balance.
0: I could not find the balance. Oh, no, I feel you there, man. It's the truth is you can't you you can't be something that you're not, you know? Yeah.
1: Well, none of us that were in the band, um, well at least the first iteration of the band, none of us could ever say with a straight face that we were hardcore kids yeah. at all. Yeah. We never did those. Like that wasn't our world. Um I don't know how to do that hardcore dance stuff that they do. Um and I never really cared to ever know how to do it. Yeah. It was a world that was very odd to me, but um I mean, but I liked bands like Zeo and training for utopia. I love those bands. And I mean, I could get out, I could do a hardcore band today. I would love to do that where I just have to scream and there's no key or anything like that and just go nuts. I could do that, but it's kind of one or the other for me. So, um, it would just be sort of like, there'd be those shows where, you know, we did a big solid state tour with Norma Jean and under oath and us and haste the day and uh, beloved, that was the show where I think we played second it, us and beloved traded off. So it was haste the day, beloved us um, under oath Norma Jean. That was usually the lineup. Then sometimes us and beloved would switch. So, It would be like, play the song with the breakdown. (laughs) Like, dude, I don't know what you heard, but I don't know what part you heard on what song, but we do not have breakdowns. Uh, We have alternative like helmet breakdowns, but we don't have the breakdowns where we're expecting you to just do a circle pit. That's not Uh us. So it got frustrating because that scene was, I mean, people were super dedicated to that scene. I don't know that we could have found a heavy... Alternative hard rock scene that would have had that same type of uh, dedication. So, in on one hand, I love those kids for that sort of thing, but on the other hand, it's like, you seriously want me to play a breakdown? Is that all you're here for? It's sort of like we just came here to dance, yeah. Um, and I just didn't get it. And you know, Zach, Zach and I, you know, Zach was pretty particular about everything, and he was, um, you know, he just he had these, you know, he just was amazing at building these rock songs with these beautiful rigid like staccato helmet influence parts and um we had so much pride in these riffs and we had so much pride in these melodies and none of that crap mattered when you're on that yeah, show yeah. so you know maybe it's cool when we get to play a show with staves and be like i'm just gonna stand still here and sing my song you know what <laughs> i mean and try to hit it on key for once because i'm not having to lose my mind and impress all these 15 year olds
0: or whatever the show is Yeah. well we liked it so
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> but man those those tours for us like i think about tours with you guys and embodiment and project 86 like we learned how to grow up on those um on those tours and like i don't know like i don't even remember the shows but i remember hanging out yeah. you know what i mean and and for me those were these really great life experiences that you know it's day as an adult I realized a lot of people don't didn't get to have experiences Definitely. like that. So I'm very lucky in some of the, um, experiences I got to have and the people I got to meet and, um, I got to see the whole country many, many, many times. Oh yeah. I, and dude, that's gotta, so blessed for that.
0: that's gotta come into play later on. You know, when, when the design thing sort of takes over your life, you, you're seeing yeah. everything outside If you're only seeing the inside of Dayton <laughs> and then maybe yeah, right. like, Part of Columbus, you know, it's just, yeah, you're, you're, you're the influence of all these other places is definitely going to, going to rub off on you.
1: For me, it made, it made goals feel attainable. That little, I mean, sure, we're from Dayton, but we're from a town called New Lebanon. And New Lebanon has uh, 4,000 people. And we're somewhere between Eminem and Toby Keith. If you go to the east (laughs) of us, that's Eminem. If you go to the west of us, that's Toby Keith. So we're somewhere in the middle. Where's Um, our
0: place? Yeah.
1: Yeah, so, uh, yeah, man, for us to be able to go to play headline um, the Whiskey A Go-Go or you know the roxy or whatever it's like holy crap man it's just us little kids from (laughs) new Lebanon, ohio doing this so it meant it told me i learned that um set a goal that i mean because you can actually do it sure and um so that it made my uh my scope my sight lines much wider
0: new medicines thing and, and i think it clearly like you said put you guys on the map and i'm just i have to ask because i'm just curious how the chino thing happened on the next record i think what's even more interesting is the way things sort of ended there and i yeah i don't want to put you on the spot i'm trying to make you. oh feel no, bad, no no you know? it's
1: it's been a decade okay. i've um i've made amends for the most part uh mm-hmm. but so what happened so the tough thing was is that My band was me, my very best friend, my other very best friend, and my best friend's brother who became one of my best friends. So I was there with my brothers. Like, I know we are all from the same little town. We're all the same. You know, I had one of those, one of those uh, towns where you all go to elementary school together. You go to middle school together. You go to high school together. You know what I mean? The person you're sitting beside on the first day of kindergarten, you'll be sitting beside them when you graduate high school. So that was the type of life that we all had. we all went to that same school all 13 years. So I had this whole life with them and it wasn't until New Medicines, touring New Medicines and that record getting big and the shows getting big that we really had to look at ourselves and be like, do we want to do this? Um, do we get along anymore? Um, and you know, all these little quirks that we have, like they're not gelling the way they once did. And then there was just some, you know, some life things going on, um, that year that was 2004 and new medicines sold a lot of records and actually it came out. Um, it was the first time that tooth and nail put one out on solid state and tooth and nail. So it had both logos on it. It sold a lot of records. It did really well for that time period. And, man, 2004, that was the worst year of my life. It really was. (laughs) I look back on it and it's like that. The fact that new medicines came out is just one little blip on all the other crap that happened that year. You know, things that happen with friendships, things that, you know, getting, you know, I've been with the, the, my wife, I was with her since I was 16 years old. And so that's 16, we're 22, 21 at this time. I'm not seeing her all year. Um, She's my favorite person in the world. I don't get to see her. Yeah. It's like, it all wears on us after a while. And man, at the end of, let's see, the fall of 2004, it just fell apart. And we just, we didn't get along the way we once did.
0: We meaning the band or we meaning you and your- The four guys okay. yeah.
1: in the band. We didn't get along the way we yeah. once did. And there were, it was like the band was our everything. And to- not want to do the band was like sacrilege, you know? And for me, I was like, I just want to go home for a little bit. Um, I want to go home for a little bit and not have to argue with you guys every day. It was also super frustrating to me. It was all compounded with the fact that deep down I didn't want to be there. I knew that I could go home and, Design graphics all day.
0: Enjoy doing it. And see
1: um uh, my girlfriend. And see your chick. Yeah. Yeah. I like glamorize this idea of waking up in the same place every day. <laughs> you know? And yeah. and granted, looking back, I was too young to think that way. I'm talking about a 21, 22 year old that's yeah. trying to grow yeah. up. And you know, looking back on it, I wish I would have been a little bit more um I wish I just would have relaxed, you know. So we basically fell apart. There's some stuff that happened, uh, meaning like we just didn't get along. Some of us wanted to go home, and it all just fell apart uh, at the end of 2004. So we ended up getting a fill-in drummer at the end of 2004, and at the end, we were driving home, trying to get back home by the middle of December, get back home for Christmas. And we have a van wreck in Wyoming, and this is like me and the bass player. We weren't even talking to each other at this point. You know, we were arguing, and he he was arguing with me about driving too fast. And the next day, he's driving. And then he ends up spinning out in oh the, uh, on the highway. So we spin all the way around the van, the trailer jackknives into the van, glass shatters in. And man, I remember looking up at our bass player and he seemed so dejected and so alone being like, I just got done arguing with him yesterday. Jeez. And it was like, all I want to do is give him a big hug. Actually, I did give him a big hug. And I was like, dude, look at this. And I showed him this, um, I showed him this guardrail. It's like, if we didn't hit this guardrail, we would have been down that cliff and dead. We're all totally okay. We just had some glass get thrown on us. Um, That's all that happened. Let's get off the exit, tape up this window (laughs) and uh, get a hotel room, regroup and let's go home. And man, it was, that was it. I, that was the last thing. I think that that puts a last show either in Boise or uh, Salt Lake or something like that. But our last show was one of those two places they have venues called in the venue and the venue (laughs) in salt lake and boise which is really confusing (laughs) on an itinerary but um but that was it that was it for that iteration of the band that we had started when we were 13 years old we're 21 years old now and that that's the end of that so um the next year rolls around and around april um you know we basically think the band we broke the band up and i go and i talked to zach i said um all right man so what if we don't end the band and that was odd coming from me because everybody was pretty much sure that i'm the guy who <laughs> wants it to end but the problem with being the front man of the band is it's you're either in or you're out it's if you're in the band goes if you're out the band doesn't go yeah unless you can somehow pull off what further seems forever did or bands like that did and um wonder
0: oath or whatever but that's yeah, a, still yeah, not try. a real <laughs> that's a yeah pretty major uh yeah wow
1: yeah so anyway in 2005 i get a call from jesse sprinkle he said hey man i know that things are falling apart if you want to if you guys are going to keep going i would love to play drums for you okay and then my friend dusty from beloved told me the same thing. And then he said, Hey, and I got a bass player that used to play in beloved with me. His name's John. Um, so we all got together up in new upstate New York. That's where Jesse sprinkle lived and lives still. Mm -hmm. And he has a studio there. So we all get together and, um, we see if we can write some songs, but at this time we care a lot more about stone temple pilots than we care about refused, you know? Yeah, Yeah. And, and this was sort of where what I will later realize was us shooting ourselves in the foot because we could care less about what our fan base wanted us to do with this next record. We only cared about the music that we were really excited about. And at the time that was, you know, the stuff that we had grown up listening to the alt, the, um, you know, the grunge stuff Mm -hmm. and then helmet. And then all these bands like bark market and handsome and all these bands that just have these killer riffs. Um, those are the bands that we wanted to play like. And we felt like that was more like us, you know, a band like Handsome. And I'm saying Handsome, like good looking, not um, Bob. I know Handsome. That's uh, Tom
0: Capone's <laughs> band, is it not? Was he? Yeah. yeah. Quicksand. Yeah.
1: You know. That was what we were into. Mm -hmm. And so we wrote those songs, but we were still into Deftones and uh, we wrote some songs a little more in that vein. I think if it was up to me, our record would sound a lot more like Deftones. If it's Mm -hmm. up to Zach, the record would sound like Helmet. So we meet somewhere in the middle there. So with all that stuff, I was just like, I just don't want to scream. I I don't feel like it fits. I don't want to, if I scream, I'm going to get myself right back to that hardcore show where someone's asking about a breakdown. So we put these songs together and at the time, I thought they they all could work really well on radio. I thought they all had um, what it took to get on the radio at that time in 2005. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of really good friends in Sacramento. And when it came time to record the record, I got a, I got a call from a friend in Sacramento saying, hey, Chino heard your record and he really likes it. He's been thinking about doing more um, producing and he wants to get you guys in a studio up here. So on our way to Seattle, we went to Sacramento for a couple of days and we went in the studio with Chino and we wrote two songs that were on Vices. That was our,
2: mm-hmm.
1: that record. Right. Um, a song called Paralytic and a song called Crashing Down. And Chino co-produced both of those songs which basically means he kind of just gave us a different perspective on how we were writing the songs. And it was so cool to hear his opinion because mm. I start breaking apart the Deftones formula uh, after hearing what he has to yeah. say, which was really neat for me. And then he like, um, he said, you know, we had this song, it was this cool little, um, road you know, Jesse played this Rhodes at the beginning of it. It's called Paralytic. And, uh, Chino's like, Hey man, press record. I'm gonna go in the, I'm gonna go in the vocal booth. <laughs> and I'm so we're sitting back, man, and we were just like, oh my gosh. Your
2: show me right Deftone now.
1: <laughs> is doing guest vocals on a dead poetic record That's awesome. right now. It's happening right yeah. now. So, anyways, after that, we went up to we went up to Seattle, back with Aaron, who we adore, and we put vices together. And this time it was me, Zach, who had always been there, Jesse Sprinkle, Dusty Redman, and John Brim. And that was the vices iteration of Dead Poetic. was great i still love it um and it was set to come out on halloween we got you know my one of my best friends who was our manager uh you know i had to fire him and he was like one of my best friends still is one of my best friends but i had to fire him because it got to a point where it was like i'm all or nothing at this point the last thing i want to do is scream at one of my best Mm -hmm. friends because of some opportunity we missed out on or whatever not that he had ever done anything like that it was just i'm going big right now i'm i'm all in at this point. So let's get a good, let's get a bigger management company. Let's get a bigger booking agent. And we did that. So we were all geared up. We had a tour scheduled with a band called the Red Jumpsuit Apparatus. And then in January, we had a schedule, a tour schedule with Incubus. So it was like, you know, at this time we had toured, by this time we had toured with Papa Roach. Um, we had toured with Demon Hunter. We toured with Zeo. We toured with Norma Jean and Under Oath. And, you know, so there was that level of, you know, those were the types of volumes of tour but that papa roach tour that was something else we were like wow yeah and papa roach wasn't even at the height of their popularity this was past last resort this was getting away with murder but they were still like drawing just to see a band like that do their thing was you know it was another level so we knew that okay we're we're set up to do this but all of the passion was gone for me i had no interest anymore and so i told the guys You know, this was from, you know, we had done a show in August of 2006. I told the guys, I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm going to do this last tour and then I am going to try my hardest to find another singer. And I did and I tried to find other singers, but that news kind of made everybody else feel like, well, if this is the last tour then why are we even doing it uh, and so we were making phone calls and like it got to a point do you want to do the tour do you want to do the tour because he doesn't want to do the tour do you want to do it well i'm not going to do it if he's not going to do it yeah and it got to the point where it all just fell apart and i remember chad our a and r at tooth and nail just being like man you got to stick to your word you said you'd do this and you're not uh, doing it and it just crushed me yeah. and um but for me Financially, it was blatantly obvious. Any financial advisor would have told me, why are you doing this band? You know, what's the point? If there was a, I feel like the income um, pie chart would have been about 85% design, 15% (laughs) band. And it just seemed kind of silly to like, you know, at that time. So we're talking about uh, August, September, 2006. Well, I had got married in March, 2006 and we had moved to Columbus. We're in Columbus now. I'm like, I got my whole new life. That I just don't get to have yet. Yeah. So it fell apart. It wasn't one blatant blow. It wasn't like it's over. It was, we're, we are going to do this last tour, but it's the last one to, well, then let's not even do it. So then that Red jumpsuit apparatus tour, we bailed. Uh, and then um, the Incubus tour, obviously we bailed. Uh, which was in January, like January third. I'm like, my birthday's January sixth. I want to be with my, you know what I mean? Like, I want to be with my wife for my birthday, <laughs> and it's just all this stuff. Like, that's what I yeah, cared yeah. about. Um, I was like, I'm not going to miss my birthday. I'm not going to miss Christmas. I'm not going to miss any of that stuff. That's just what I cared about. So the record came out Halloween of 2006, and Dead Poetic was nowhere to be found, and that's what happened. Wow, man. So uh, Vices dropped, and Brandon was pretty bummed. I can imagine. All the promotion, everything just had to stop. And uh, so with all that said, I freaking love that record. And I'm not going to act like it could have been huge or whatever. We walked away. We walked away. Well, I shouldn't say we. Those guys aren't responsible for it. I walked away. And the other guys had to suffer for me walking away. And it's unfortunate.
0: What happened with those guys? I mean, we're talking about longtime best friends here.
1: They stayed mad at me for at least at least a year, at least a year of like straight up super mad at me. But Zach was a different story because Zach and I were a lot closer. You know, we would just talk about the depths of our emotions and life when, you know, when he's drive, when we're both in the two front seats mm-hmm. of the van, you know what I mean? Like, and I, you know, we're still, we're always going to call each other our very, very best friends, you know? So Zach understood it. Um, I still remember Dusty telling me, well, I'll be honest with you. You're not my favorite person in the world. Oh, and Dusty was one of my yeah, favorite people yeah. in the world and he still is, but it was just like, it was crushing, man. And John had even told me, he's like, man, I got some stuff to take care of at home. If you are going to quit the band, you've got to let me know. And he held that against me being like, I told you if you were <laughs> going to quit the band, let me know and you didn't let me know. And I was like, dude, if I would have let you know, I would have, you know, yeah. I didn't know myself. And um, so- each person, I think Jesse was slightly relieved to go home. Um, he, you know, he's got a big family himself. So there's, you know, you're either the type of person that loves being on tour or the type of person that just wants to get sure. home. Like the goal is getting home. And for me, the goal is getting home. I think for Jesse, the goal is getting home. I think for Dusty and John and Zach, Um, when they were out there on the road that was it that was who they were they were doing the thing that they love to do and it just wasn't that way for me yeah and uh so i've patched things up um actually just recently i patched things up with our first with the first iteration our first bass player the guy who wrecked the van at the end who was just like became a pariah and i patched things up with him actually we had a friend who sort of like got us together he like had me zach and chad all meet at chad's condo and it was sort of like he was the one that initiated getting everybody together so we squashed what we could squash we didn't talk about it but it had been long enough i mean i still love those guys and you know we've been through we went through a lot of things together but man i don't know it's just at at a certain point i gotta i gotta live the life that i really want to live
0: listen i mean it's uh, for what it's worth man there's no sense in anybody being pissed off at anybody truthfully because you're not This is music, man. It's not a business. I mean, you even said something a little while ago that I know where it comes from. I know where the mindset comes from, but I don't think it's true. I think you had mentioned, uh, you know, when we wrote, when you wrote Vices, you know, maybe you didn't listen to what your fan base was wanting from you or whatever. And you you didn't care. Didn't care. Well, dude. You can't care. If you write a record just because it's what people want to hear, they're going (laughs) to know. And they're not going to understand it when the record comes out and they don't like it. You know what I mean? But there's nothing you can do about it yeah this is the bitch of being an artist, dude. is there you it's not all controllable. I mean, when it comes to music is straight from the soul, dude, you're doing what you want to do if you don't love it, it is going to suck.
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> there's
0: no way around it, you know, yep, how can you fake
1: it? and what's funny, that last record vices most of those songs are about me not wanting to wanting to be in the band anymore. If you go back and listen through vices, all those dead poetic fans out there, (laughs) um, go back and listen to it with new ears and realize I am telling you that I don't want to do this anymore. And that's all that was on my mind. So I'm in the studio and I'm trying to come up with lyrics. Um, that's what's coming out.
0: I know this is going to be the corniest thing ever, but I've heard it because I've heard it in movies. But, dude, the heart wants what it wants, bro. <laughs> you can't fake that shit. <laughs> yeah, Like, you know, yep, I, know oh, I don't want to let anybody down. Guess what? You're letting yourself down, and then by proxy, you're going to be letting everyone else down. It's just the way it works. You know, Yeah. I don't want to beat you too hard on that thing, man. I mean, I, I feel like, especially now, it's good that there's a little bit of time has passed, and I'm glad to hear that some peace has been made, you know?
1: Yeah. There's no more animosity there. It's, it's just been, I mean, it's been a decade, you know, it's been over a decade. We're talking about stuff that went down in 04, 11 years ago. So everybody, you know, everybody's got wives and kids and, you know, life is good. They found what they wanted to do in life. And, you know, Zach being the, you know, sort of my, my music soulmate or just life soulmate, you know, he's, extremely happy in his life right now. Um, he writes music every now and then, but man, he's, he's got a wife that he loves. He's got two kids that he adores. Life's good for him, you know? And he's got a, he's, he's got this great family. He's got three brothers and uh, you know, so he's just, he's extremely wealthy yeah. with family for sure. I just, and love. I,
0: I want it to be clear. Like, man, I'm right there with them fellas in the band with, cause yeah. I'm not the one that broke up Stave's Acre, dude. That was not my plan. <laughs> I just finished writing what I thought was the best thing we had done in ages. I'm ready to keep going. And then the band I'm being told is done. Hey, but you can you can be pissed about that if you want. You can gripe about it if you want. You can think about what might have been, you know? Yeah. But that's bullshit. Because
2: yeah, it that
0: is never would have been if a person goes if in their heart uh, there's a change has been made and they go this other direction it's just not it's over and sometimes stuff is just over yeah i just had jim chaffin on 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 the show you know we're going through all this stuff and i know there's been a lot of him having troubles with the way things ended with with the crucified and everything but this is a fact greg Manier, the primary writer for the band was over it done yeah you know, Jeff Ballou, our bass player at the time, was writing and, and sure, he, he had his own thing, but he wanted to do his own thing, which he eventually was able to do. You know, you can't keep art going just because, oh man, we were almost there. I know. And it's always that almost there.
1: You know, I use this thing of like, you know, a band wants to get as big as, I don't know, fun. Let's say fun. And then another band, well, fun, maybe they want to get a bit as big as like, um, I don't know, uh, Death Cab. Mm. Maybe Death Cab wants to get as big as Linkin Park. Linkin Park wants to get as big right. as U2. U2 wants to be as big as Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin wants to be as big as the Beatles. The Beatles want to be as big as Elvis. And Elvis died on the crapper. <laughs> so it's like, what is the goal? What is the goal we're searching for here? And when are we going to realize that once we've got there?
0: I want, I'm asking you something right now. This is my transition to die. <laughs> i have an image in my head i own this image because i'm putting it on record right now i want a i want a chart of the evolution of man but i want it just like you just said the little bit like the little (laughs) one is fun and then right on all the way to elvis on the crapper that's the yeah that's it dude the evolution of band the
1: evolution of we're gonna be big Oh,
0: okay. (laughs) Hey, there's some perspective for you.
1: The thing is, man, you're never going to realize when you're there. You know what I mean? Maybe some bands wanted to get as big as Dead Poetic. Well, we never got where we wanted to be. And that's the thing I worry with bands that I know today is I want to just tell them, listen, you know that moment when you're all in the studio and you come up with a song and you all look at each other and you'd be like, that's freaking awesome. What we just came up with is amazing that's the freaking buzz. That's it. So that's the thing that I love the most. And I think that everything else, you just got to enjoy whatever's coming at you. And, um, you know, I'm seeing some bands have some success right now and all I want for them is to just enjoy it. Enjoy it while it's there. Give your bandmates a big hug and just enjoy that you're all there because it's, it's temporary. And if it's not temporary, you're the rolling stones and I just don't think that like the Rolling Stones and Aerosmith have family members that adore them. You know what I mean? Like there's stuff that has to sacrifice that sucks on the deathbed, the deathbed. You don't talk about album sales on the deathbed. You talk about if your daughter loves you or not, you know, and that's the, that's how I view what I'm doing. And I keep a good eye on the big picture most of the time. And, uh, so I just didn't care. Like I, nobody's gonna care that we um, that we toured with Norman Jean. <laughs> right, you know, right. when I'm on my deathbed, they're not gonna know what that means.
2: I'm only
0: understand where you're going with that you know it's maybe Mick Jagger's kids love his weird craggy face I have no idea I don't know but you are you and the guys in your band are who they are you know and it just is what it is and this is advice that I do not take and I reject completely Yeah, (laughs) I've been one of the more bitter people in the world and eventually you just go man what what are you gonna do you sit over there and cry in a freaking sandbox knock it off you know by the way, uh, yeah. you have this beautiful wife in the other room who's ready for you to stop feeling sorry for yourself. You know, that's kind of where I'm at, man. Totally. You said, you know, the bands that you're, you're watching reach, reach some success. I mean, first of all, no one's coming to you for their T-shirts if they're like, it's their first band and they're still playing in the garage. I mean, your design right. career has sort of, it seemed like was maybe running alongside the career of the band. And then when the band pooped out, it just took all whatever was left and it's gone straight up, man. I have to say, I'm very proud of you. Very, very happy for you, you know? Thanks, man. Seems wow, like you're you. doing great. And I see a lot of the work that you've done. And I checked the website out and all. I mean, tiny bands that, no, that don't have any money or visibility. I get it. You know, bands like Pearl Jam. Man, it's such a tedious work <laughs> you do as a labor of love. I understand. No, man. That's pretty huge, you know. Forget the bands that you're doing. Forget the bands whose, you know, shirts you're working on, which it seems, you know, based off of our conversation of the day, it's really what you kind of focus on, which is again, awesome. Yeah. But forget the bands themselves. Let's just talk about the fact that you're able to, you love doing it clearly and you are doing what you love more than anything. That's weird, man. Yes. I don't know how, you know how weird that
1: is. (laughs) (laughs) It is weird. You know, man, I find out how weird it is when I try to have conversation with other human beings. And, um, and I feel like I'm from another planet when I'm having this conversation and even, you know, even in the design community, I'll talk to other people who are graphic designers, and they say it with such disdain that it just bums me out because I'll do a backflip after I say I'm a yeah. graphic designer and clap and go, yeah. Whoa, you know, like I love what I do. And I wake up excited about what I'm doing 80% of the time. And that's, you know, that's me being honest. 80% of the time, yeah. that's good. That's, pretty that's great. amazing that I'm stoked that much. So like, you know, I know on other podcasts, you've asked the question, what did you want to be when I grew up, mm-hmm. when you grew up? I wanted to be an yeah. artist straight up. When my mom asked me, I'm four years old. I got a big, uh, white artist coat on and I'm painting on an easel. And I'm just looking at my mom, like, is it possible to just do this <laughs> for the rest of my life? Yeah, Cause this is all I great. care about. And, um, so I build, you know, I get identity in my grade as the best drawer. And, um, I, find confidence. You know, we didn't, we didn't have any money growing up. um, So I didn't get to wear like name brand clothes to be cool. I had to be cool with my talent and my character. And so uh, that art gave me confidence. It gave me an identity. So that lasted a long time. And then the band came along, gave me even more identity. And then, you know, by the time I could afford to wear Nike shoes, I didn't care because I was wearing crazy because I was in a band now. Um, (laughs) So I get I have this rare situation where I'm doing exactly what I wanted to be doing. And, and, you know, it got more specific as time went on, you know, and if I can go back to the dude who opened up the Green Day Dookie album layout and stuck his nose in that to look at every little thing and tell him that he gets to design stuff for Green Day and every other band that he loves and... You know, and if I could tell the kid who gets a CCS skate catalog and looks at all the cool t-shirt designs and tell him he gets to do that every day. um, And he, you know, that's, that's pretty huge. You know, I'm pretty dictated by four-year-old Brandon and 12-year-old Brandon. And um, I'm making sure that they're stoked at what adult Brandon is doing.
0: How much of your, of your artistic inspiration or or just passion would you say is tied into album art and music art i mean for me it was a huge thing growing up you know i studied every square inch of those records yeah you know the nuance of of the writing of the thank you list that was always like an art form in and of itself to me you know what i mean totally it it always had to be this certain way totally you know did you were you inspired by that stuff early on were you inspired by comics i mean what was your where kind of where'd you get it from
1: Totally. I think those CCS catalogs were huge. Um, I think looking at the Green Day album, that was the first time I, had, I owned a CD layout because um, the tapes right, just right, weren't the same. Right. You know what I mean? Like looking at the layouts of the tapes. And by, when we were listening to tapes, like my brother was buying Guns N' Roses, Skid Row, but also like Bell Biv DeVoe and Color mm-hmm. Me Bad and stuff. So it's like, I wasn't really in love with those. So when I took ownership of like Green Day Dookie, well, then I spent time with it and I really looked through it. And then the Pearl Jam Vitalogy record,
2: oh, which beautiful. had this
1: crazy, creepy little booklet. And yeah, it made me feel uncomfortable. And it made me feel the way that Pearl Jam bug song feels. I feel, I, it's like bugs in my bed, bugs in my, <laughs> no, 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 whatever it is. It creeps me out. And the layout did the same thing. Ozzy's osmosis with the eyeballs uh, in the CD. Yeah. Is that right? Is that yeah. osmosis? Um, it weirded me out. I remember listening to an Aussie song and hearing the Perry Mason song and my vision, like I, I something happened to my vision and I was just like, man, this album is like inside <laughs> me. Like this thing is freaking me yeah. out right now. So there was this whole thing about, the visuals attached to music can make you feel the same mm-hmm. way the music mm-hmm. makes you feel. And there's a correlation between between the way the music sounds, the way the band presents themselves, and the way the graphics are. Like, all that stuff is interconnected. So, for me, and I think a lot of people are this way, when you hear a record, you can say a song is blue or a song is yellow or a song is red. Like, you can tell that there's images imagery attached to a song. And so for me, I get to just like really carry that stuff out, um, in a t-shirt design sometimes in a layout or a poster, whatever it is, but I get to take how this band makes me feel. And I think how this band wants to be perceived and just really get into it and really yeah, dig yeah. into that stuff. And, um, you know, Norma Jean, I remember a project, uh, I guess I should say a line that I did for Norma Jean back in, I don't know, 08 or something like that, but they were coming out with a record called the Anti-Mother and Norma Jean have always been eerie. They've always been creepy. There's something going on there. That's just, you know, Daniel Davison started out the artwork and he kind of established that weirdness and Josh um, established all that weirdness. So it's sort of like you get this opportunity to um, present imagery and to create stuff that's going to make people feel eerie. And, um, but then again, man, this morning I designed t-shirts for Britney Spears. <laughs> so it's like, I'll make people feel that sure. too. You know, whatever yeah. it is, man, I am obsessed with this fusion of music and visuals, the visuals attached to music. I'm obsessed with it. And somehow I wake up excited about it for over a decade now. Wow. And, um, and I do it all day, every day, five or six days a week. And I'm just so freaking stoked about it still. And at this point, it's less about how good of a designer I can be. And I'm finding it's more about the things I'm learning about myself, the things I'm learning about the client and like this, you know, this deep like existential discussion (laughs) that I'm having. And um, it's all kind of it's that's sort of like the second chapter of my design career the first chapter yeah. was just getting good and established the second chapter is like whatever's going on in my head Sure. so um you know so i've enjoyed doing talks at colleges and uh you know i'm doing podcast interviews Yeah, i
0: saw all the videos on there you're doing a ton of you know public speaking and you know the website there's all sorts of different options for the curious you know yeah it's in there you can dig around brandonreich.com is that correct that's correct. My- you know, one last thing here I wanted to I wanted to put down here because you know, we had talked about it. I know you probably talked about it with Billy. I mean, as are you potentially considering starting your own show? You wanna do a podcast and start talking design? I mean, what's what's going on with that?
1: Well, here's what I realize about this heady talk that I usually get myself involved in is that um I've got, I work here at home by myself. Mm -hmm. My wife has heard everything (laughs) that I've got to say about everything. Uh Right. So I've got these family members. Um, you know, one of them is that musician that I told you about that's they're taken off. One is his wife. One is the, um, one is their brother, you know, talking like 25, 22, 26 year olds. Mm -hmm. And when I talk to these 22 to whatever, when I talk to them, my questions aren't, so what's up, man? Right. What you have been doing? What are you getting into? My question is what do you want to do with your life? Sure. What makes you what what are you passionate about? And what did you want to be when you grew up? And what steps are you taking to do it? All this stuff that is way too heavy of a conversation to have,
2: like
0: breakfast. <laughs> sure. You know what I'm sure. saying?
1: So I I'm realizing, like, you know, my wife was talking to me the other day. She's like, Brandon, nobody's going to want to talk to you if you hit them with that heavy crap all the time. Like, like relax. Like ask them what's what, you know, try to figure out what they want to talk about because mm-hmm. I just I don't have time for the small talk, man. I want to yeah. get straight to the point. Like, why are you breathing? That's what I want to know.
0: So, are you thinking about this in terms of not just the show itself, but also the artwork you're doing for the bands or I mean, how do the two kind of get together? Well,
1: it's, you know, doing art for bands make you kind of get in the head of each artist. So one day I'm in, you know, I'm in different artists head. Like today I'm like, Mm -hmm. how is Britney Spears trying to reinvent herself? That's the questions I'm asking myself today. And why does Iggy Azalea do the crap that she does? Like, why does she think that's okay? (laughs) And like, you know what I'm saying? It's just questions like this. So I'm obsessed with what is motivating these people? What is waking them up? Mm -hmm. So I realized that there's the pickings are slim on the people who want to have that heavy conversation with me. So I figured maybe if I do a podcast, there's, there's enough people out there that will care what I have to say. And if I talk to this microphone um, for an hour one, every week, uh, then maybe I can relax a little bit when I'm around <laughs> my family and I don't have to,
0: Give them a to break. Uh, ask them what the meaning of
1: life is every time.
0: Maybe you should just let them eat their pancakes. I don't know, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, I probably should. I'm learning this, man. I'm a work in progress
0: I think you got it you're doing good <laughs> ah yes Brandon Reich My thanks to Brandon for his time and his willingness to put it all out there I swear there was a span of time where I wore a dead poetic shirt pretty much every day <laughs> maybe Brandon and I should get together see if I can't get a little of that Reichian style on a t-shirt for all you never wases what do you think our thanks to you for hanging out with us. And please, if you have something to add to this or a story to share about Dead Poetic, by all means, write me at the Twilight Zone at IneverWas.com. That's the Twilight Zone at IneverWas.com. All one word, no Z's. And speaking of writing in, I think it's time for a new letters episode. What do you think? We say a little 90s up in here. Let's talk about your quintessential 90s memory. Give me a band, a movie, a show, anything that says, the '90s to you, and I think I think after that last uh, letters episode, a little lighter fare might be in order. Oh, by the way, uh, speaking of those episodes, 19 and 20, I'm collecting your continued emails regarding the in or out shows. So if you have something to say, or something to contribute, your own story, keep it coming, keep it coming. That one's already about in place, but we can jump in there again, no problem. In the meantime, for you, find your inner Winona writer and hit me up again. Email me at thetwilightzone at ineverwas.com or just tweet at us at neverwaspodcast. If you like what you heard this week and you want to find a way to contribute, by all means, please drop us a buck or two in the old Patreon tip jar. There's a link to that page along with links to Brandon's various projects on the show page, including brandonreich.com. And I can't go further without mentioning our latest Patreon lovers. Eric Parker. Thank you. Joshua Weir. Facebook to Patreon. Boom. Thank you. You rule. And I feel like I missed... I missed something. Timothy Joseph West. If I missed you last week, I'm sorry. Don't be mad at me. I love you. Thank you very much, Timothy. And last but not least, ladies and gentlemen, a contributing artist from Staves Acres How to Live with a Curse artwork. Still awesome, by the way. And the Dead at 17 comic series, my old buddy from the days at the door in Deep Ellum, Josh Howard. Thank you, Josh Howard. Great to hear from you, man. So again... Thank you to the Joshes, Eric Parker, Timothy West, and everyone else that's contributed to the uh, Patreon link. Appreciate that. Tonight we heard New Medicines and Taste the Red Hands from Dead Poetics' New Medicines. We also heard Long Forgotten, Paralytic with Chino of Deftones, thank you, on vocals, and Self Destruct and Die off of Vices. Both albums are available on Tooth & Nail Records. Any other music you heard tonight was from my band White Lighter's self-titled debut on Northern Records. This show was produced by Billy Power of Urban Achiever Podcast and The Urban Achiever Show. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for contributing. For now, enjoy your own skin from Brandon's current musical offering, At Night We Strike. Until next week, be good. Rainbow out.